This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Jesse. And I'm Rick Jackson of Wonder Publishing Group, which also includes Wonder Audio and Wonder Ebooks, and the Brain Plucker blog, and also the president of the Science Fiction Oral History Association. And I'm Bill Kuhn from Eloquent Voice Audiobooks. Hello. Brand new audiobook company. All right. Yeah. <laughs> welcome, both of you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, you let's... introduce as Bill or William. Oh, Bill's great. Thanks. All right. Okay, but but if people are searching for you, like on Audible or something, they should probably yeah. look for William. Yeah, that's true. I always uh, uh, use William Kuhn as my narrator name. Okay. 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 That's great. Yeah, and um, enjoy your narrations very much. Um, oh, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. What? Uh, tell us about Eloquent Voice audiobooks. Well, Eloquent Voice came about, um, quite honestly, because uh, Rick's publishing company took a bit of a hiatus from audiobooks, and I loved doing them so much, I decided I wanted to keep doing them, and not just doing, uh, you know, LibriVox recordings like I was doing a few years ago, but wanted to see if I could, you know, do something more with it, and uh, I had actually had Eloquent Voice, um, I had obtained that that domain name a few years ago because I thought, you know, maybe someday I might want to have my own concern. And I thought, well, I'll just use that one and uh, see what happens. Oh, good. And so it's been up, it's been up and running since, let's see, well, Eloquent Voice, I, I obtained my distribution deal back um, just before Christmas. And then the podcast, actually, you folks you folks encouraged me to get the website going, so that one that's only been up for a few weeks now. Great. And yeah, you definitely need a website. Uh, yeah. If you, if you want to come on our podcast, how are we going to plug you if you don't have a blog? That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, that's at eloquentvoice.com. Um, there that's will be a, a link to that on, the, on our website. So, um, oh, excellent. Great. Well, you've and you're sent word, us- using WordPress, right? What's that? You're using WordPress to run it? I am, and it was the, like the greatest experience of my life because it was so easy. Literally in the matter of a matter of a few days, I had all the content out there, and it looked great. And Yeah, you know, it was just uh, really slick. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, it was wonderful. Great. Oh, it's funny. Well, that, that theme you're using is uh, Elements of SEO. It's the one I use for uh, Wonder Publishing Group and for... Uh, Science Fiction Oral History Association, because I like that theme, too. It's very simple clean. and clean. Yeah, Yeah. where do you I think I got it, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked at your website and said, wow, I really like this. And then I looked at the bottom, Elements of SEO. What's that? That sounds really good. So, And it was beautiful. It's just great. Good. Yeah, it looks like... I think, I think the first time I, I heard a Bill Kuhn book or a William Kuhn book was, was <laughs> uh, with um, Rick's... Rick's Wonder Audio release of the fabulous clip joint by Frederick. Yeah, mm-hmm. how was how was that, was that a fun story? Story? Well, that was the first uh, I guess noir book because all the other books, uh, Rick, wouldn't you say all the other books that we had done were really in the sci-fi category? Yeah, science fiction, or maybe fantasy, but definitely science fiction. Yeah, 
Yeah. So it was it was a lot of fun. The thing I like about Rick's really good, I think, about choosing the right pieces for his narrators. And so he knows that that I have a younger sounding voice Mm -hmm. and um, and I have sort of a youthful attitude. So he picked a book where the main character was, you know, in his. Yeah, he's 18 when he starts out. And it's really great because it's a coming of age story. And uh, there are a lot of, you know, classic noir characters, all the gangsters and the malls and, and the you sister. know, the, <laughs> the, the, the sexy sister. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun to record. And the 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 um, the writing is just really top notch. I think Yeah, Frederick Brown's awesome. He's great. I, th- I think someday I'd like to actually do the whole series if I could. There's, I think, six awesome different. Too. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this this first book. I, I, I don't know how the rest would go, but I mean, it's even got a great title. Fabulous. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> and of course, they work it in at the very end, you know, yep. of the story, like like you have to in those. Yeah, I I, I think telling telling a short novel first person, you, you really can't go wrong. I, I haven't heard a uh, a bad a bad story told that way. And in audiobooks, it's it's, it's so um, you know it, it it feels so right to have one narrator, you know, no sound effects, telling his own story. Uh, it just it's it seems to be a perfect match. It gave that an essential. I'm not sure any other Wonder audiobooks have got that, but uh, it was. I just can't believe more people aren't downloading and listening to that audiobook right now. Is that a good seller, Rick? <laughs> it doesn't sell very well, actually. It's got a five star rating on uh, Audible, but um, for some hey, reason it gets overlooked. I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe it's, it's uh, because it's the marker on that one. Well, maybe Frederick Brown just. Nobody knows who he is, I guess. I don't know. He does have a, he's got a very loyal cult audience. I mean, he's got a Yahoo group, and they're very passionate. You know, people who are fans of Frederick Brown are passionate. It's true. I, 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 got, a, I got shouted down when I misspelled his name. Uh, oh, I saw yes, that. I, I, <laughs> we all saw it. it. Well, come on. It's Fred oh, Rick. Fred, hey, no. R-I-C. Come on. Between it's Frederick Brown Frederick. and Frederick Paul. Yeah. They're totally spelled different. I always have to double check because I always forget which one's exactly. got the extra E and ends with a K and all that stuff in it. Exactly. So leave me be. Well, I'm doing my best. And, and then we did a second. <laughs> well, and then we did a second one. Um, we did The Wench is Dead, which is a, a short story, um, also by Fre- Frederick Brown. And that was fun, too. Hey, you know, I um, not have heard that. Yeah, I don't think I've heard yeah, that. Yeah, that was oh. like an hour long. He. He expanded it to a a novel, but but we we went with the short story version. Mm-hmm. So and, the wench uh, is dead was the name of the novel too. Yes, yes. Wow. So there might be a little confusion there, but I'm not to mm-hmm. make it confusing. <laughs> uh, yeah, the short story came out first. Uh, yeah, it's about a guy, a kid, another kid, basically young adult that uh, has a drinking problem and. And murder ensues, and he gets kind of uh, in the middle of it. Do you remember that one very well, Bill? Oh yeah, I I, I really like that one too. It, um, it it's interesting the way, and the guy comes from a sort of a wealthy family um, in I think Chicago or somewhere in the Midwest, and he ends up in is it San Francisco? Um, but he ends up on the on the West Coast, yeah, I, and he he's in the in the dive section of town and um and his uh, girlfriend is a prostitute 
Um, it's just, just these are just not nice people at all, but uh, it has, has some redemption at the end. Sounds good. That does sound yeah, the good. prostitute's actually uh, one of those angels, you know. Heart of gold. One of those, uh, heart of gold prostitute, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Billy the Kid, I remember her, her name was Billy the Kid. Uh, Bill, what else have you been uh, doing with your own titles from Eloquent Voice? Well, recently I uh, released a group of Philip K. Dick stories, The Defenders and Other Stories, and those were great fun because he's such an imaginative writer. Um, I love the ideas that he works with. Um, I've also released a group of, uh, of nove- I guess, a novella and uh, some other stories by Robert Silverberg, Starman's Quest and other stories. Um, that is not quite up for distribution yet. It's been submitted, and hopefully within the next couple of weeks it will be available. So where uh, where can people get these? Um, the... Uh, the distributor who I work with is Overdrive, and Overdrive's great because it um, sells to both public libraries as well as through retail stores. So um, you can get the titles at uh, the online stores of Borders, uh, Barnes & Noble, in the UK as W.H. Smith. Um, there are some other online retailers that all work through Overdrive. Um, if you go to my website and click on the details for one of the titles, there'll they'll actually be links directly to the catalog page for the various retailers. All right. Um, the other thing, too, is I, I'm hoping that, uh, that people will do is will actually encourage their public libraries to purchase a copy um, because that way a lot of people can enjoy it, and then we can use some public funds to, uh, to pay for the work. So uh, I've actually had... Uh, um, in fact, all of the purchases since the the um, I came online have been by public libraries. A couple in a couple in Canada, by the way. Oh, great! Well, well yeah. Which which uh, libraries do you know? Um, actually, I believe one in British Columbia. Hey. I believe, um, and the other one I know was uh, uh, Kitchener, a suburb of Toronto. Ontario, yeah. Yeah, I probably insulted somebody by calling it a suburb. Everything's um, or, a suburb of Toronto, according to yeah. Torontonians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. Well, neat. Uh, so, I'm looking on the Eloquent Voices website, and it says you've got some Chekhov. Yeah, it. not Star Trek Chekhov, but <laughs> that's, <on> Trek. <laughs> that's right, Mr. Sula. That's right. Um, yeah, you I decided to whistles. do some class. <laughs> 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 um. Yeah, I have three collections of Chekhov stories. Um, I was trying to find some works that were in the public domain that I could make available fairly quickly. And, you know, I get a lot of public domain works from Project Gutenberg, which is a terrific site. Um, yeah, and I, I really had never known Chekhov stories. I always thought of Chekhov's plays, you know, Three Sisters and Uncle Vanya and those sorts of things. But then I started to read his stories, and it's amazing how contemporary they are. And they just really dig. They just dig into um, the psychology of the people involved. Um, and then uh, there's one collection that's all about children, and he tells stories through the eyes of children. But he's really telling about the adults and the things that they do to each other, and the things that they do to children, which aren't always really nice things. So uh, very insightful stuff. I like uh, I like how you've classified them: five tales of childhood, five tales of men and women, and then uh, collected Chekhov. 
Twelve Tales from Life's Passing Parade. <laughs> Life's Passing yeah. Parade. That, that could be on, uh, you know, the, is that a quote from somewhere? Because that's really lo- a great line. Life is a passing parade. Oh, thanks. You know, I just made that up. I was looking at the stories. I'd re- I re- had recorded about, I don't know, 25 or so stories. And, you know, five of them easily fell into a category of childhood. And five of them were about, you know, re- the relationships between men and women. And the rest were just this wide variety of things. And, you know, Chekhov was a physician. And so he had an opportunity to see a lot of people uh, from a lot of different walks of life, from the poor to the rich and the middle class. And, and he just wrote about everything. And it's just like he, he observed and he wrote. And, you know, it's our pleasure to enjoy it. So that, it just occurred to me it's life's passing parade. Well, that's great. Yeah. I see you've got yeah. some. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say I see Henry James on there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was looking for works that there aren't a lot of representation of, mm-hmm. um, and Henry James, I think, scares people to death, if they're even aware. I mean, everybody knows about Mark Twain. Everybody knows about Edgar Allan Poe. But Henry James is, I think, one of the best writers, American writers who ever lived, but I think a lot of his novels were almost unreadable. They were so dense, and the language was so tough. But the, it's the, the opposite is true for his short stories. He wrote these just piercing psychological um, analyses of people and, and their motives, and um, they're just amazing. And the fact that he had to do it within you know five to 10,000 words meant, meant he had to be concise, and he had to be um, clean with his language. And... Uh, they succeed just really amazingly. They're just, I, I loved reading them just myself, let alone uh, I, I'm hoping people will love listen to, listening to them. Oh, that's cool. So they're both, or would you call them horror stories? Um, not the ones that I recorded. He did okay. record some that would fall into the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he, he wrote the, the Madonna of the Future is one example. He was, sort of had a lifelong interest in you know, what it means to be an artist in the world and and what does it mean to be true to your art and the madonna of the future is a story of an artist who spent his whole life not creating his masterpiece Mm. Uh, so think about that an artist absolutely passionate about his art but never quite gets there works on it uh you know he probably just gave away the whole plot um but but getting there is is fun as well um, what was another one uh, that we the other did? One's oh, a light man, yeah, yeah, a light man. So that's another really interesting one about motives. Um, so here we have the case of two younger men who go to live with an older man who is quite wealthy, and so you might question what are the two younger men's motives of, uh, for going to live with this man? What are they, what are they trying to get out of it? Um, and what's the old man trying to get out of it? And you just never quite know what's going on until the end. Um, and so it was a, sort of a, sort of a psychological mystery. I I have to admit one of my uh, one of my strange ambitions is to record all of Henry James's short stories. Oh wow! Uh, That'd be interesting. Yeah. And he he wrote uh, uh, well over a hundred of them, so this could be a lifelong journey. <laughs> have you read any of his brother's stuff, William James? No, not at all. Um, there, it's a very interesting. Um, side-by-side comparison because 
they're both incredibly intelligent men. And William James, mm-hmm. uh, basically, the United States is not well known for its philosophers, but he is basically number one philosopher of the United States in history. And he's basically a, psych- a psychologist, uh, mm-hmm. early psychologist, and a, a philosopher of a whole lot of interesting, you know, actual uh, deep philosophy. And he coined the term pragmatism, didn't he? In, indeed, he did. Uh, a few other, a few other um, famous things that are still used in philosophy and still talked about uh, are out of his mouth. But they're, they're brothers, and yet their, their work is strangely similar in that they're, they're sort of talking about the same things, but one is doing it through fiction, and the other is doing it uh, through, you know, educational writing. It's uh, nonfiction. Yeah, it's just amazing that the two brothers could have such an impact on uh, on American uh, literature and uh, and American thought. It's uh, it's fast. You know, I, I I'm incredibly impressed by them. Mm-hmm. You find, uh, the other thing that I'm working, on, I was just going to mention the other thing I'm working on. This is a bit of a teaser. Um, I, I I do like this idea of uh, trying to to be able to release works that others don't have, you know, public domain really everybody can do. So I'm actually working now on, um, I'm hoping to be able to get the rights to do um, a younger science fiction author. I'm not going to name who it is yet because I'm I'm just in early discussions. But uh, so if things go well over the next few months, hopefully I'll have some works by a more contemporary writer, a living writer. (laughs) Well, that'd be nice. That sounds great. such a tease. (laughs) <laughs> hey, um, did you find reading James hard to do as far as narrating? Because even long though you're narrating, his short his short stories are simpler, he still has long, complex sentences, doesn't he? He does, and I'll find myself um, sort of losing the train of thought if I'm not careful, if I'm not really focusing. Or, or the other thing, just from a technical standpoint, is running out of breath. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, you have a, a, a a sentence that's a paragraph long, and it, it's so easy to get lost in it. And uh, so, some you know, I edit. A, 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 you know, I'm a, a heavy editor uh, because I make a lot of mistakes and uh, uh, read things over two or three times to get the right the, the right sound to it. But uh, with him, it's uh, that's especially the case. But uh, but with the short stories, he does make it easier on us. So <laughs> it's. Uh, it's not quite as bad as the novels. Yeah, that's interesting on on the mechanics of just narrating audio. Um, so I just imagine that you're you're just there at your home doing this. That's right. I have a home studio that I've built up over the years, uh-huh. and uh, um, tr- try to get the best sound I can for the the uh, investment that I've made. Okay, so you're you when you read. Um, if you feel like you've done something wrong, what do you do? You just pause and then start over and read it again, and then you edit yeah. that big file that's left. I'm just yeah, very really curious as the mechanics of it. It's interesting to me. Yeah, I use an audio, uh, uh, a light version of Pro Tools, which is a professional audio uh, recording, a digital audio recording tool, mm-hmm. and uh, it's actually it. it actually fairly easy to use after you get used to it but it's it's uh, you know cutting and pasting and um just almost like a word processing file although it's not in english obviously it's in sound the the, the sound is represented as a, as a picture on the screen so uh-huh. yeah but i do a lot of editing 
a lot of editing. I think you told me you do, you do editing like in two two passes. Like yeah, I do two once. passes. I, I go through once to um, correct the the words um, to to get a clean read through the whole file, and then I'll go through one last time to fine tune. And unfortunately, the older I get, the more my mouth makes noises that are not desirable, a little clicking sounds or strange nose noises. And uh, so I have to go through and sort of clean that up to give it as pristine a sound as possible and not not be distracting. So it probably takes, you know, it probably takes three to four hours of editing for every hour of audio. Hmm. Wow. That's I remember one narrator I was talking to a long while ago said that um, in the narrating booth, he was spending uh, approximately three hours for every one finished hour. And I, I don't yeah. think that he would do his own editing. He was a professional. So. Yeah, in my in my case, it's about two hours per hour of recording time. Uh-huh. Um, and then, uh, of course, I do my on editing. I would almost be embarrassed to have somebody else edit my recording <laughs> because there's so many mistakes, so many redos. Uh-huh. Well, oh, the, you can't tell about the finished product. Uh, uh, I'm going through Starman's Quest and the only thing I'm noticing is that it's a great story. Oh, that's excellent. That's, that's what I'm going for, so I'm glad to hear that. The other thing is I evolve over time. You know, I'm not a professional actor. Uh, so, so many great narrators have a strong acting background, and so I'm trying to learn to um, bring a, 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 a greater performance elements to it. You know, especially the dialogue. And um, I got a, for example, I try to pick up tips. Um, I did a little bit of recording work for um, Alex Wilson at Telltale Weekly, mm-hmm. and uh, when he first heard my first recording for him, he said, "Well, here's a suggestion." Um, tighten up the dialogue. When you have two people talking, um, reduce the space between the second person's response. Um, then it's, uh, that's what they taught us in, um, in acting school. You know, you, and if you listen to people on, on TV or radio or whatever, they, they just answer quickly. Yep. It, it's not like they're, they're not thinking it at all. You know, it's like the lines come really fast. And so I started to do that, and that little trick, made all the difference to how dialogue sounds on the recording. So yeah, little things like phone that. phone calls on television. You know, the phone rings, the guy picks it up, and he says, hey, it's Patrick. He took out life insurance. <laughs> He's telling his wife. It's like, wait a second. When did he have a chance? Is he psychic? How did he know that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, little tricks that we've gotten used to, and so we have to follow those when we're doing audio books. Well, yeah, no, uh, Starman's Quest is available now. Starman's Quest and Other Stories by Robert Silverberg. Um, tell us a little bit about Starman's Quest. Well, Starman's Quest is, uh, I found it an interesting story. It, it, was, it was one of those stories that I might have read when I was young and, and read um, sort of young adult sci-fi oriented stories. But it's a story of, of twin brothers, identical twin brothers. And they start, when they start out, they, they are both um, crew members of the spaceship where their father is the captain. Well, one of the brothers is sort of a rebel, and he decides that uh, the next time they're on Earth in port, that he wants to leave the ship and go off on his own. So he does that, um, and uh, um, then the ship takes off for their next voyage. But the thing is, because they're they're so this is you know this is like um, the discovery channel's mythbusters warning science content beware um 
so this is because the ship is traveling at less than light speed speeds. Um, the people on the ship age less rapidly than people on Earth. So the twin brother who's on the ship comes back to Earth. He's only six weeks older, I think it is. Four, four to six weeks older, I can't remember for sure. And uh, yet his brother has aged nine years. Hmm. So the the um, person, the focus of the person, uh, excuse me, the, the um, first person's perspective is the brother who's on the ship. He decides to find his brother and also try to find a means of eliminating this effect. In other words, trying to find a, a space drive that would allow ships to travel at um, light speed or greater and therefore not, therefore no one ever would ever experience the situation that he did. So it's a, that's his quest. His two quests, one to find his brother and one to find faster than light speed. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a coming of age, but uh, not, not quite as great a coming of age story as, um, as the fabulous clip joint was. But still, it's uh, it's, it's got a lot, a lot of things going on. On uh, looking at the Magipur dot com, uh, the I guess it's the quasi official Robert Silverberg website, and uh, it says it's his second published novel or second novel, anyways. Yeah, I think he might. I think you're right that it's his second published novel. He actually might have written it earlier than than some of the the uh, first published works that he did. So I think it's very much the the work of a young young man, you know, looking ahead to. Uh, um, to his life. Mm-hmm. Good book so yeah, far. That's great. I'm enjoying it, but I'm not sure that it's it's, uh, it's at least up to the point I've read. I'm it's I'm thinking it's pretty hard science fiction. Uh, it, there's no faster than light travel. It's all relativistic, and uh, there's nothing that sounded very. Um, I mean, it feels more much more Heinleinian than uh, Silverbergian <laughs> so far. You know. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, and I was, uh, uh, the, there's another story in the book, too. I think Silverberg was fascinated with this idea of what would happen if um, sort of a spaceman, um, uh, not, I was going to say cult, really not a cult, but almost a spaceman society developed. You know, once people started regularly going out into space, how would their culture evolve differently from the culture on Earth? And especially if you assume that they're traveling at less than light speed or near, near light speed. So they go away for a few weeks, they come back, it's years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the stories in there, um, I think it's called The Happy Unfortunate, um, who decides he wants to stay, but he's completely out of touch with how society has evolved. And, um, you know, there, a spacer class has developed um, versus an earther class. And, you know, so he explores those kind of issues in that story rather than, you know, the the sort of space travel or time travel. It's all what happens on Earth, which I think is an interesting take on things. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's kind of similar to, I guess, the later on for the Forever War where they go away mm-hmm. and they come back, they go away and they come back. And mm-hmm. I, I think in, um, in I'm about a third of the way through, maybe not even quite that far in Starman's Quest, uh, we find uh-huh. out that the father has. Uh, the father says, uh, it's "Your, I think he says, your seventeenth, eighteenth birthday, and that means you're three hundred years old on Earth." Right? Exactly. You were born <laughs> on this date, and 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 he himself, the the father, has been uh, piloting uh, for a thousand years of Earth time. 
And I just like, yeah, you know, if Earth culture doesn't, I mean, think of how much Earth culture has changed in a thousand years. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, kind of a culture shock. But exactly, it, it, it's not even that all the spacers are the same, right? Because they're all traveling different distances, all the different ships. So when they bring in somebody into the community, um, you know, they're really saying goodbye to everyone else and everything else that isn't on board the ship. That's right. That's right. And it's also a big culture shock when um, they get off a ship where they've been, you know, with 200 people or fewer for their whole lives. And they, they go onto a planet that's got billions of, of inhabitants and, and the, you know, the level of distrust and uh, how people treat each other on Earth is much different than how people treat each other on the, the starship. So big shock for the, um, for the main character. Fascinating. So, from there, you went on to uh, Philip K. Dick. And his, well, actually, uh, Robert. Go ahead. Actually, I was just—I was going to say, Starman's Quest is my latest release. Oh, is it oh. okay? Yeah, and it's uh, not quite available for distribution yet. I sent oh, it to the okay. distributor. Oh, okay. So, so that's the one that's not quite available. But the Defenders and other stories is available right now. Yeah, that's definitely out. Okay. Yep. And uh, does he do more of the mind bending he's so known for in here? <laughs> well, they were early stories, so uh-huh. it was interesting. One of the one of his his fans said, "You know, this was this was when he was finding his voice as a writer." Um, yeah, it's some pretty interesting stuff. Um, you know, you go to a planet that's basically dead, that's been destroyed by um, a war, but yet there's still one gun surviving that's defending the planet. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, um, but and some some explorers come to uh, to check it out because they had actually seen the planet explode or had seen a huge nuclear nuclear fission of some kind, um, and so they came to see what happened and they found this this planet with one gun standing. I, I've read uh, the Skull recently. That's one of the ones in the collection. Um, or that's oh yeah, there's the Skull. That's the one with uh, a, uh, I think main character is named Conger and he's he he's op- the opening scene is a man running down the road with a with a skull under his arm um i think that might have been a picture that was used ah, okay. um, and so that that would have been like a cover shot or an illustration that was used so the skull is an interesting story this is not this is more um time travel mm. um than space travel so uh, this is about um a hunter who is hired to go back in time and kill a person who started a religious cult or a religious, uh, let's not say cult, a religious movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so in his day, the religious movement was the enemy of the government. And so the government wants, to, wants this guy to go back and kill the founder of the religious movement the day that he fo- founds the movement. So he's going to go to that it's sort of a, you know the Sermon on the Mount sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, and so basically if, if you if you follow the analogy, he's sent back in time to kill a Jesus-like figure before he delivers the Sermon on the Mount, um, and he's given so, the skull of of the religious figure, right? That's right. He's given the skull so he can recognize the person because no one else has they don't have any photos or anything, but the skull has a clue that would. Um, Show him who, that he's got the right guy, that he's killed the right guy. 
it's got a good wow. twist, of course. Jeez, yeah, I'm ready absolutely. to listen to that one for sure. Oh, it's, it's kind of um, it's kind of similar to Behold the Man, but yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think that's just giving away a lot too. I know, I, love I know. That's kind of a semi-spoiler alert, if you know that. <laughs> but but you know what? With with these uh, works that are well written, even if you think you know how it's going to end, it's fun getting there. It sure is. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. You know, I, I just read a, a Philip K. Dick story yesterday, that, and I just checked this morning to see if it was available public domain, and it, it's not, but that doesn't mean it won't be eventually. I was hoping to ask Rick about it, actually. It was a fun little story. It's called The Little Movement, and it's uh, it's about a, um, uh, a toy robot that gets sold on the street and ends up in the household of a, of a little boy, but the, the robot is um, actually, it looks like it's an alien invader, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's one one amongst many. It's uh, it's very similar to other Philip K. Dick stories where you know toys are actually uh, uh, the props of of a war, a coming war, and um, and yet it was because it was published in FNSF. I was I was reading and I was thinking, well, it could be fantasy, it could be science fiction. Um, well, it turns out it's both. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, ah. it's it's just you know uh, you think you think you know what's going on and then no it's a Toy Story it's a Toy Story it's like the inspiration for Toy Story and I go <laughs> wow this is fun Philip K. Um, you know, somebody was I, I, criticizing him on Gr- the Guardian the other day about how he, he's a bad writer and I oh think my gosh. Does, I think he does some clunky sentences but I think that that's because he just he likes clunky sentences like I do. And uh, and that you know that it still comes across. It's a it's a taste whether you like it or not. But I don't think he's deliberately clunky. I think I, I don't think it's accidentally clunky. It's deliberate. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, he's no Henry James. We could probably say that, right? Yeah, he's not smooth like Henry James. <laughs> does uh, Does Philip K. Dick give you any narrating challenges? Oh, interesting question. Um. Those clunky sentences, maybe. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't. I don't remember noticing that on the way through. Um, you know, no, it was it was pretty much a joy to do because um, there's there's lots of action, um, good dialogue. No, it was it was a joy to do. That's good. Have you have you ever read uh, something that just didn't seem like it was working for you on audio? In, um, yeah, you'll probably you'll probably never hear those uh, or see those <laughs> catalog. <laughs> so you're reading along and you're like, boy, this just doesn't work at all, and then you just this move on. This just sucks. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I, I I pride myself on being pretty good at, at picking something that I can uh, that I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, trying to think of an example of what I honestly can't think of an, of an example where I read it and said, no, I'm just not. Uh, mm-hmm. Not able to do that. Oh, there is one that I'm doing right now that I uh, finished recording and I'm in the middle of editing it now. It's um, Andre Norton's The Time Traders. Mm. Um, so that was the first in her Time Traders series, and it's in the public domain now. So that will hopefully be coming out in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's, um, there's actually I don't know if you've looked into it. There's actually three novels from her her Time Traders series that are in public domain. So if you like this one, you can keep going. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That I think the second one is one that's not in, so I have to maybe work on getting a yeah, hold there, of that. Yeah, there, there was there was four that were published in that time period, and one uh-huh. of them I know 
I know one of them is renewed, but there's like two other novels that are in public domain. And it's another example of sort of a, a young person who, uh, although this time it's a, a young person who is uh, not necessarily the nicest young person you've ever met. He's uh, sort of lived a life on the streets and learned how to fend for himself. And uh, so he becomes uh, uh, volunteered, so to speak, for an experiment involving time traders or t- time travel. And uh, uh, it, invo- it involves the Ruskies. Um, I, I love how some of the older the the stories from the fifties use some of the old phrases like phrase, uh, phrases like Orientals, you know. And I I'm often tempted to change the language, but I think that would Don't do that. be sacrilegious, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've got an interesting question for you guys. It's a slightly off subject, um, but at a convention I was just at, there was a, uh, a Disney historian. Um, Walt Disney historian. And uh, the, the latest movie that Disney's working on is A Princess of Mars. And he was allowed to visit the set there. But he asked me a question that I couldn't answer. And he, he said, um, why is it on LibriVox and on Tantor, um, the first three or four Mars books are available from Edgar Rice Burroughs, but they both stop at exactly the same point. It's like five through eleven are not available. Do you do you have any idea why that would be? Yeah, because um, they were published before nineteen twenty three. I think the date uh-huh. everything was uh-huh. in public domain, and then okay. those right. later titles are after nineteen twenty three. No kidding. Simple. Okay, I figured that's, that's that there was. Answer. Okay, I figured there was some kind of. That's exactly what I told him. So I'm glad. I said, you know, maybe they're still in uh, copyright. So they are still in copyright, even though they're way back in twenty three, huh? Yep. Everything post twenty three. If the author renewed them, which Edgar Rice Burroughs' estate and Edgar Rice Burroughs is really careful about, so uh-huh. yeah, they're, they're copyright renewed. So interesting. Okay, thank you for the answer. No problem. Yep. And the little movement to answer Jesse's question that uh-huh. is copyrighted because, because <laughs> Philip. This, this is kind of a tricky one. Philip K. Dick did not renew that one because I looked. But it was published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and yeah. for that issue, this particular issue, they renewed the copyright. Uh, they don't own the copyright. The Philip K. Dick estate owns the copyright. But uh, since that magazine is copyrighted, that material is copyrighted. Oh well, yeah. there's much. You know, uh-huh. it, it really—I mean, we have new copyright legislation on the order paper right now up here, and. Hmm. The one thing that you could do to make the economy better is to make copyright really clear. No, you know, because I, I mean, we've got two guys here who's who who are making money or trying to make money off of the yeah. public domain, <laughs> right? Um, right. By you know remixing uh, or not remixing, I guess is uh, uh, adapting existing material. This is what people have done for centuries and centuries and centuries. Uh, you know, you take Shakespeare and you you redo it. Uh, you you take something and you redo it. And the reason you know Shakespeare is, other than being a great writer, the reason you know he is such a perennial favorite is because everybody is adapting it and making new things from it. Mm-hmm. If you can just make it clear, everybody's going to start doing it. I, I mean, one thing to do is make it really short. You know, fourteen years, twenty-eight years, something really short. Very clear. Make it simple and make it simple and make it 
universal. Like so, there's not yeah. a lot of exceptions because yeah, it, it's really a mess, especially when you start mixing other countries and they're. Oh yeah. Well, and Rick, you probably know about this more than me because you've always been my guide toward copyright and obtaining works and that sort of thing. But my understanding is that Disney themselves um, helped to create the situation that we're in now because they didn't want to lose rights to their characters, to their early shorts, and that yeah. sort of thing. So they – they is, is that correct? Yeah they, yeah, they fought for extending copyrights. That's why it's like – what is it now? 95 years past the author's death or something in the States? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah that's right. Think 95 about, years, um, that's right. Yeah, and it's like 75 years in most countries. It's uh, mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, what's interesting is you look at Disney. What were his first movies? Oh, yeah, Snow White, Public Domain. What not was... just his first no, he movies. Almost all... every movie. Come on. Almost every movie. Aladdin. Yeah. I mean, that's not that's not original right. material from the mind of Walt Disney. So he's like the greatest miner of Public Domain, yet they're the yeah. uh, corporation that stuck it to the rest of us. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real happy with them about that. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yep. Yeah, I don't know much about copyright at all. It's unfortunate well, that we have to that we that we should have to know about it because it's yeah. something that's transparent and just you know dealt with in fifteen seconds. But what you know, if you if you want to be a modern artist and you you want to make a living and you want to care about uh, you know whether you're going to get sued or not for doing something, you actually have to care because it's right. so screwed up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, Rick and I had an interesting experience um, with one of the works that we put out. We we were exploring this idea of getting um, the rights to, a, to do the audio book for um, works that aren't available now. So um, uh, we were able to contact, and this is a name that you may be familiar with, Forrest Ackerman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Forrest Ackerman uh, at least claimed to be the person who invented the term science fiction. And uh, I think he wrote a few things, but mainly he um, uh, he acted as a literary agent for a lot of the greats during the, the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. And so um, we talked to him a few years ago. Uh, I, I guess two or three years ago, was it, Rick? Yeah, I would say uh, two or three years ago. Yeah, and you he, actually I, you actually did the contacting. Because yeah, and he was he was I think ninety two or ninety three at that point, um, and delightful to talk to. And the reason we were reaching out to him was because um, the Keanu Reeves version of the Day the Earth Stood Still was about to come out. Right, and we thought it would be really cool to do an audio book of the original story that goes with it. Um, so we were able to, to get permission from him to use it. And I think that's one of the more popular downloads, isn't it, Rick? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, probably the second best seller. Wow. Yeah. At least it was for a while. And it's yeah. called uh, the day the earth stood still and other stories. Is that what we titled it or something like uh, that? Uh, the day the earth stood still selected stories of Harry Bates. And, uh, uh, but then the other interesting thing was Forrest claimed to be, the literary agent for all these other writers. And so we started to work on getting permission to do other books, only to find out that poor Forrest had been in the past, but had lost, had lost that, his, his status with them. I, th- I think was one, one 
said that because he was considered non compass mentis. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, it seemed like it was, you know, um, Bill said to me, well, uh, it, the Van Vogt estate is represented by Forrest J. Ackerman. And I look at all my old books, you know, I got a ton of old anthologies and Forrest's name is all through them on the copyright page. So I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that's, that sounds right to me. You know, I said, yeah. yeah. So who, who was to know, but. Yeah, so we did contracts with them, and they turned out to be null and void. So, we oh, no. <laughs> so it's like you know you tried to do the right thing, and it didn't quite work out on that instance. Yeah, yeah. There was but, there was nothing in, intentionally misleading. It's just that I think he he had forgotten, or <laughs> or maybe he well, actually thought he still was. Who knows? Right. And he he had passed away like what within a year since of that. Yeah. I, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but it's, it hasn't been all that long ago. Right. So he was he was definitely on his way out, unfortunately for him. Yeah. But uh, I can look at that, and I, I'm hanging on to those contracts. Cause, hey, I got his con- I got his autograph. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing else. I got his autograph. You can sell them on eBay. <laughs> yeah. You can do audiobook versions of the contracts. <laughs> yeah. Boy, there now. Who do, who do you go for the rights for that? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> Now, um, say, you know, people say they would pay to hear Meryl Streep read from the phone book. I don't think they'd pay to hear me read a legal contract. You know what? Uh, when when I I had to buy something on uh, iTunes the other day, and it 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 said um, uh, iTunes has changed its terms of use or whatever, and it 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 gave me a pop up, and it was sixty two pages of reading on the on the iPhone, and I was oh, thinking. You know, if I spend my time reading this these sixty two pages, my battery will be dead by the time. <laughs> and it's, it's like nobody reads them, right? Nobody no. reads these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lawyers who write them probably don't even read them. They just well, I think they intentionally write them so long so we don't read them. I mean, sure, I'm sure. You know, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but no, I really believe that. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Perfect sense because if you did read it and it was simple and you understood it, you might change your mind. Whereas if you <laughs> agree to it, then you you've agreed to something you don't know about, and there's there's a law. There's a law that needs to be changed. <laughs> I'm not sure that they've ever been enforced though. Those terms of use, and it'd be interesting uh, interesting to find that out. If anybody yeah. knows, please let me know. Well, I hope it's something that I never personally experience. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.